Welcome to the Mass Bar B Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association, available free to members of the bar as well as the public. We feature lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about MBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. Hello, I'm Jordan Rich. Recently, the state passed the Massachusetts Non-Competition Agreement Act, which places new limits on employers. On today's podcast, I welcome attorneys Ellen Messing and Dahlia Rodofsky, who handle employment law issues, and they're here to help us understand how the new law will affect workers. First question for Dahlia, a little background on the law itself. So it went into effect in October of 2018. It was passed sometime before that, and it amended the previous law. The previous law was pretty onerous for a lot of employees. They may have signed something when they started work and then been fired and found that they were not permitted to compete in their industry. For many years, there were a group of legislators trying to change that so that the balance would shift a bit toward equity toward employees who uh, otherwise might be frozen out Mm -hmm. of being able to work. Ellen, is Massachusetts catching up to the rest of the nation, or are we leading the the way when it comes to this kind of legislation? Well, we're somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. Of course, California forbids all non-compete agreements, which is one reason the uh, high-tech industry has fled there. But uh, there were so many perceived inequities in the law, non-compete agreements being enforced against 17-year-old camp counselors, non-compete agreements being enforced against uh, kids working in hamburger stands that people in the legislature and their constituents justifiably recoiled Mm -hmm. against the unfairness of it, felt that Massachusetts should stake out what is probably uh, a middle ground. Right. Now, you penned an article uh, recently that I read with interest, and obviously there's the other side that says, ah, it's not really broke, why fix it? Respond to what the other side's argument is, if you would, Dahlia. Well, for employees, there are huge um, improvements in the new law over what the situation was before. Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing and the thing that management lawyers don't seem to appreciate is that a person who is fired or laid off is not subject to a non-compete, even if they signed one um, after October 1 when the law went into effect. Mm -hmm. Even if they signed a non-compete, if they are terminated, the employer cannot enforce that non-compete and no court will recognize it. In our practice, we represent very often people who have been fired, perhaps unfairly, perhaps there's a suggestion of discrimination in the firing or in a layoff. Mm -hmm. And those people would not only be laid off, but couldn't work in their industry. So this new law says no in that situation. Yes, you can freely seek another job. If you're fired without cause. Without Without cause. cause. So what about firing for cause? Well, then if the non-compete is otherwise proper, which is a whole other area, it might be enforced if you're fired with cause. Okay. I just want to relay a personal story. I was, when I was working radio in the 1990s, there was a non-compete, very strict non-compete for those of us on air. And it didn't matter at the time if they laid you off. And that happened a lot in my industry. You had this six months to a year in this market where you couldn't vie for another job, which seemed patently unfair. And I don't don't know at the time if anyone challenged it in court, but uh, it seems like a long time coming. Am I right, Ellen? This reform is finally here? Yes. 
and the unfairness in particular where the employer makes the decision for its own needs or its own convenience is certainly what motivated the without cause layoff provision mm-hmm. of the law. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a misconception that this is just, as you say, for executives, for higher ups, for white collar workers, because as you said, prior to this, there were kids and low level workers who were kept from from getting another job in the same area. Right. And one really important feature of the law is that it doesn't apply to uh, non-supervisory employees, blue-collar workers, white-collar workers in administrative positions, people who are basically non-executive, non-supervisor, non-management staff. So what are the limits now on the employers? Let's just spell out what the law does or says in in plain English here. Start with you, Ellen. What do you say? First thing, um, and this really is something that uh, has always in theory been true of the law of Massachusetts, but the law can't go further than to protect the legitimate interests of the employer, to protect trade secrets and goodwill. There has to be a good reason for it. So in your example, you were working in radio, your employer didn't want you to go to a different radio station because they wanted to keep you where you were, or they didn't want another radio station to take advantage of uh, your name or your popularity. They have to have a better reason than that. That was it. Exactly. Dahlia, do you want to jump in here? I do want to jump in just because there are, even under the old law in Massachusetts, there were a few professions in which non-competes would not be enforced. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure when the law happened, but radio broadcast talent was not subject to non-competes. The law... it, you must have had a good lobbyist for your profession. Well, we, we probably did, but I have a feeling they just used that as a safety valve in their own back pocket, and uh, it wasn't challenged when I was there, but it always struck me as very unfair. Let's talk further about what the employer can and cannot do. So they have to tell people in advance. You can't just show up on your first day of work, as so often would happen under the old law, and say, April Fool, here mm. it is, sign all your health insurance papers paperwork and, oh, by the way, sign this uh, non-compete agreement, which is 10 pages long and single space written by our lawyer. Many clients of ours come to us and say, I had no idea I signed a non-compete because mm-hmm. in the, it's in this 10-foot stack of papers you're given on your first day on the job. Mm-hmm. And right now, you have to get advance notice of your non-compete. You have to get it in advance of being hired. In advance of being hired. So not the day you start signing exactly. in and meeting with HR. Right. You have okay. to get it in your offer letter or you have to get it 10 days in advance of being hired. And I imagine that it's it's not something that's just quote unquote assumed. You have to sign something. Right. Okay. That's another big change. Yeah. And you have to be advised to see a lawyer to understand what this does. doesn't mean the employer has to give you a lawyer, but you have to at least have your attention called to the fact that maybe there's something a little tricky here that a lawyer might want to help right. you with. Now, is there any issue with the size of a business or the size of the employer? In other words, does this apply to somebody who hires two people for his or her firm? It, it doesn't just apply to some, some mega big, corporation. Big corporation. It applies to... to every non-compete. It is limited in duration. So you can't, a lot of companies would have two-year non-competes, mm-hmm. 18-month non-competes. That is now a uh, one-year maximum, 
even for the chief technical officer of a company right. or, or somebody with very specialized uh, skills. Is there any consideration to where you are? In other words, if I have a non-compete, does it cover me for the whole country and prior to this law, can it? It has to be reasonable. I mean, if you work throughout the whole country, it could cover you mm -hmm. for the whole country, but mm -hmm. there has to be a logic based on the job you actually did. If you spent your entire career working in Springfield, you, they can't extend it even to the whole of Massachusetts, let mm -hmm. alone to the whole country. Since both of you are in this area working with employees and helping them with legal issues, Dahlia, maybe you can tell me this. In the past, when someone has had a non-compete <coughs> and they were a lower level worker and then they finally tried to get another job, what happened to them? It really depended on the employer. Um, sometimes employers would be very aggressive and try to stop people from moving to another company. I remember one time we represented a salesperson who um, was a very talented salesperson, and the company came after her, you know, saying, if you go work for anyone else, we are going to sue you and sue the company that hired you. Uh, and, and in the sales area in particular, and in the high-tech area, there was, or biotech, there was more likelihood that the employers would actually take action. They might not actually go to court. They might simply mm. write a scary letter from their lawyer. That is that, often effective. <laughs> yes. Yeah, people would worry because it's yeah. it's a highly expensive process to go to court to fight a non-compete. Mm -hmm. would often result in the person not getting hired by their new company. Mm -hmm. Many companies defend their new hires, but a lot of companies will go, whoa, it's you know, worth, I'm not going to get involved. It's not worth that. the aggravation or the expense. Right. Let's circle back here a little bit. The employers still retain certain options when it comes to non-compete. As you mentioned, sales, technical, things like that, as long as they make sense and they're logical and they're not totally over the top. Do you both feel comfortable with the way the law is played out in October and the way it's settled some of these issues? Well, What's it's, your take? it's a great improvement because the law also has another benefit for employees, which the employer can't just enforce it and leave them to fend for themselves for the year or the six months, they must pay them at least 50% of their highest earnings in the prior couple years. So a person who genuinely fits within the contours of a non-compete is not left without income for that uh. time period. And the law actually carves out severance agreements if okay. you enter for the first time into a non-compete in connection with a severance agreement. That's okay, but the notion is you're negotiating it. One of the major failings of the law is that there's no no standard set for what needs to be paid to you for the non-compete when it's done in connection with a severance agreement. I see. Okay. I mean, in theory, you could have be paid two-week severance and have a one-year non-compete. It's mm -hmm. unclear. There haven't been cases yet. So that's yet to come. It's not clear what the courts right. would do with such an agreement. And what about those people who signed a non-compete agreement October the year earlier and it goes for five years? Where do they stand in all this? Well, technically, they're not covered by the new law, but there have been some cases that have been decided. I mean, obviously, up up till now, there have been cases interpreting the new law have not come up yet because mm -hmm. those people are still working if they're signing agreements under that have been entered into after October. But there's been at least one case decided under the old law 
where the judge issued a decision, said, I'm not applying the new law because it doesn't apply. Mm -hmm. But then the decision uh, remarkably traced the results in Mm. that decision were uh, as if it had been decided under the new law. So I think the courts are going to be using the standards in the new law even to make judgments Mm -hmm. of reasonableness under the old law. Since I have you both here, before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you both about some of the other issues that consumers should be concerned about when entering into a new job and a new position employee. What are some of the issues that are most common that you're handling in your your day-to-day activity? Well, a lot of people don't get much by way of information about their rights on the job. We are still an at-will employment state, which means that a person can be fired for a good reason, a bad reason, or no reason at all, so long as it's not illegal. People don't really understand that because there's sort of a gut sense in this country that fairness should prevail and that unfair things aren't done. But there are a lot of unfair things that are done by employers that are not illegal. People should uh, be very careful about reading company handbooks, Mm -hmm. seeing what it says there about their rights. They should be wary of unfair pay practices, in particular women and people of minority groups. There's still a lot of unfair pay in Massachusetts, and we have actually a new statute that should help that in regards to sex discrimination. And they should see what sort of grievance procedure is available within the company. Some companies have very good, uh, what they call sometimes open door policies, where you can bring a complaint and take it up to an impartial person. Other companies have nothing like that. Uh, So you walk in with open eyes knowing that if a supervisor and you don't get along, you may be out of luck. Mm. Uh, People have a right. This is an important right to... um, look at their personnel record every six months to see if there's anything um, negative in their file that they want to either contest or ask to be removed. Often you don't know how a job is going to go until you're there and working. Is there a a short list that employees should just be aware of? What is illegal for an employer to do when removing someone? It's illegal to fire people because of who they are demographically, because of their gender, their race, their age, their national origin, their sexual orientation, their it's, religion. Um, it's illegal to fire people for whistleblowing about uh, health and safety conditions in the workplace. Um, it's illegal to fire people uh, in health, who are uh, work for health care uh, facilities about whistleblowing about health care issues. It's illegal to fire public employees for whistleblowing about matters affecting affecting public issues. It's illegal to fire people for whistleblowing about financial issues in public um, corporations. It's illegal to fire people uh, because they uh, take advantage of their rights under workers' comp statutes. Another um, important one is um, it's illegal to fire people for union organizing, um, for even discussing the possibility of taking concerted action with fellow employees about a workplace issue, so long it's a work as it is a workplace issue, things like, you know, speed up of an assembly line or nurses having too many patients that to care for properly or unfairness by 
a uh, supervisor with respect to the treatment of uh, some class of employees. Mm. All those things fall within what might be called concerted activity, which um, may not lead to union organizing, but at least taking action together. That doesn't just affect blue-collar workplaces. Anytime people who um, are not supervisors act uh, together to assist each other in the workplace, for example, by discussing salaries with a goal to improving their their salaries jointly or um, work together to improve working conditions, that is a way, that is an activity that's protected under the National Labor Relations Act, which is a partial answer to your earlier question, um, what do we see in the workplace and what can people do? Um, It is difficult for individual workers to change things for themselves. Um, Sometimes the best thing people can do is talk to other employees and uh, join together Mm. to help each other. Workers should know that they have a right to be paid for every hour worked. And under certain circumstances, they're entitled to overtime uh, when they work in excess of 40 hours a week. They are entitled to any accrued vacation that is not paid out at the time they're terminated. A lot of people don't realize that um, they are entitled to that vacation. If they're commissioned, they're entitled to get paid out their commissions if the amount of the commission can be calculated and is due and payable at the time of their termination. And there is an office in the um, attorney general's office that takes these complaints and immediately gives you a form to fill out and um, people can assert their rights, even without a lawyer. People are also entitled, if they are mislabeled as an independent contractor when they're really uh, working for a company, to get all the rights that Dahlia just talked about. Just because your company tells you that you're an independent contractor doesn't mean you don't have the rights of a worker. Most people labeled as independent contractors have the right to overtime, have the right to be paid for every hour worked. You also have the right to be paid equally with people of another gender, another race, another national origin. There is a minimum wage in Massachusetts that is higher than the federal minimum wage. It's going up to $15 an hour over a number of years. We're not there yet. With respect to independent contractors, something we did not mention in connection with the non-compete law is it does cover independent contractors, either correctly labeled or incorrectly labeled independent contractors. Those people have the same rights to be free from unfair non-competes as statutory employees. Transparency is hopefully becoming more important in the workplace. And this bill that we're referring to about the non-compete does add an element of transparency that wasn't there before. It does add an element of transparency along with the um, Pay Equity Act that allows Mm -hmm. people to talk openly about salaries in the workplace. It's part of a trend. Well, I want to thank you both for the work you do and also for advocating for employees. We want everyone to succeed. People are working more than ever. We want them to be happy and healthy and also productive and moving forward. So can't thank you enough for your expertise and sharing some of these things on the podcast. Glad to thank have you. been asked. 
You've been listening to the Mass Bar B podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. If you're a consumer in need of legal assistance, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. You can call them at 866-627-7577. Once again, that's 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association, and we invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich, thanking you for listening.